Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right, great to have you guys this morning. My name is G. I serve as an executive pastor here at the City Lab Church. Pastor Chris and Casey is actually out. Matter of fact, they're in town, but they're actually celebrating their 22nd anniversary. So I know you're watching, so I'm giving you props. Um, so uh, they're doing that. So they were, but you got me, so that's what we do here. So that's next in line to preach, you need to preach. But anyways, how's your Christmas season going so far? Great. Oh, good. That's great. It's great to hear. I see the familiar faces that came back from ACU. Raise your hand if you're ACU students. Well, what are you like? What are your shame here? Like, you know, we got a couple of people that is coming back from uh, holidays. Um, let me just begin by saying this one. I hope you guys are having a great, great uh, Christmas season so far. Merry Christmas to all of you. Um, but I don't know about you, but usually this time of the year, I get the blues. And that blue is I get that Grinch spirit. I know, I know. I'm a pastor, right? So I should have the holly jolly spirit. But I don't have that usually. I mean, there's many reasons why, but I would just give you some personal stories why. But one of the reasons is very, it's very stressful during this time. I mean, I guess everybody in here, you guys are just all holy. <laughs> so you're not stressing at all, but I don't know about you, but every... Uh, end of the year, the December comes around, I'm always kind of reflecting on the year or so, so I have a lot of time to kind of reflect myself. But it's busy. In a church world, I mean, it's the busiest season. There's a meme going around and say, pretty much, we live in the church during the month of December. And it's kind of true because there's just so much things going on. Not complaining, just sharing what's going on in my life, just leading up to it, so don't take it the wrong way. But you know, like, I don't know about you, but you know, you have to go and get gifts, right? You have to buy gifts for others, which is the right thing to do, right? And I don't know, I know some of you ladies love shopping, so it's probably like the best part of the year. But the dudes, on the other hand, you know, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's different. Um, we just want to, like, make sure that you want to buy the right gift, right? And then you thought that you got the best gift for your Love one, but they just, when they open their present, you think you, they're going to have this amazing face. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe you got me this gift. But usually there's a long pause. <laughs> there's no joy there, you know. And then when you have kids, that's a whole other level. You thought that you got the best gift. I mean, like, you took time to research and, and got the best gift. And, and they opened the box, and they're like, eh. <laughs> a lot of pressure, Right? There's a lot of pressure at the end of the year. Not only that, if you're working, a lot of times there's a lot of deadlines, right, that your boss wants you to meet. I don't know about you, but I work for the best boss, right? So I'm actually pretty good. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my, I'm great. I'm living my life. But for you, some of you, this is the end, end of the year. You have to meet the quota, right? And you have to meet the deadline. And there's a lot of pressure towards the end of the year. And so December... It's not so holly jolly. But not only that, a lot of times I think that we take our eyes off from the meaning of Christmas itself, the advent, the coming of our Lord and Savior. 
And I think when we take the eyes off of that and we look into so busy things on the world and things that are happening around the world, we get discouraged and it gets depressing. And I know some of you actually feel that. I'm, I know I'm not the only one. I just want to make sure that's the, I communicate that. I mean, but at the end of the day, you know, average Christ, every average person uh, will spend about a grand in presents. That's, that's a lot of money. Financial pressure too, right? But you have to get a lot of gifts. And Europeans, which is, I know there's no Europeans here, but Europeans, they're willing to get into debt to buy gifts, right? I, don't, I know you guys will not get in debt, right? None of you will, right? But there's a lot of pressure just even this season. Not to depress you in any way, but I just want to make sure uh, that we do not take our eyes off of the meaning of a Christmas. That, that, that the whole meaning of Advent, or from the Latin word, Adventus, meaning arrival or coming. And we believe, as a believers, we are anticipating of the coming, not only the birth of our Savior, but also the second coming, which I will talk to you a little bit about. So, let me make sure that we light these candles so I don't get in trouble. That's exactly what it is. We want to make sure. See, I almost forgot. So, if I forget, then I'll get in trouble. So, I don't want to get in trouble. So. The third topic for today, we're going to be talking about peace. Last two weeks, we talked about hope and joy. And today, we're going to be talking about peace. Okay? Let me give you just a brief definition of what peace is defined. In Merriam-Webster Dictionary, definition of peace is goes like this. A state of tranquility or quiet. Freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions, harmony in personal relationships. Okay? And there is another way to view the peace, like for example, if you try to explain the peace between the nations, right? And that's another way of a definition. The countries having a peace treaties that they will not go to war, right? They will not oppress another, so they will make all these different pacts. I mean, the whole United Nations, they're trying to keep the peace around the world, the world peace, right? And there are a lot of things, like measures that are taking place, but I will say 99% of the time it's a temporal. It's not a permanent peace that can be sustained with a man trying to create these peace. It would take just one man like Adolf Hitler to disrupt the entire Europe. And you see that all throughout the history, whether you may have some form of peace, but it's not sustainable. It just take one crazy guy, one radical guy with the ideology can change the entire spectrum. And that will lead to turmoil, testing, sufferings, all coming from not keeping the peace. How about mental health? How many of you actually heard this year, I don't know about any other year, but after the pandemic, we have seen the evidence of the increase of a mental health 
everywhere. I don't know about you. I see more than ever than before. It's evident. Now, if you do not understand what is mental health and different things, we actually had our panels and we actually had the gospel and we actually talked about mental health and the gospel, how the gospel, how we interpret the mental health through the gospel. But it's evident. Your soul is not at rest. Your mind is not at rest. You're doing things that is contrary to you because your mind is not at peace. And so there are levels of suffering. There's levels of things that are going on in our world, and you start to wonder, will there be any peace? Can peace be obtainable? What kind of peace are we looking for? And that's what we're going to try to answer today. The premise of today's message is this. The true peace, true peace can be obtained through the Prince of Peace. I'll say that again. The true peace that you're looking for, that you're longing for, can be obtained through the Prince of uh, peace. Let's go to the text this morning. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to also go to Isaiah. If you don't have your Bible, the scripture is going to be on the screen so you can follow along. Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who, were, who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create it in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, 
to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is the word of the Lord. And praise God for child, the Son of God. 700 years before the Christ's birth, Isaiah foresees a vision. Isaiah was a prophet. 700 prior to coming of Christ, he is seeing a vision, the vision of child being born. But this child's birth will be different than any other birth in that this birth will be supernatural. Supernatural in nature, but also it will be God's doing. How do we know this? Because last verse, what we just said, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The virgin birth that occurred 2,000 years ago, the reality of the son, the child being born is a miracle, wonder, greatness of God in history. We cannot minimize this fact. As a believer, this is the anchor. This is what we believe as Christians. We believe that Jesus Christ is the child who was born, the son of the living God. And that's the premise that we have. You see, you have to put yourself in the foot of Isaiah, seven years, 100 years before Christ being born. It was not an easy time for Isaiah. There was wars, there was rumors of wars, there's Assyrians, there's Babylonians. Israel always been attacked by the nations that are surrounding them also. Just don't forget about the Philistines, they're always there. They're always around for some reason. The enemies of God are constantly, constantly at the door knocking. God's chosen people are at war, and there is no sense of peace. Even David in his reign, and you see he is still engaging wars. There was a brief period of time where in Solomon's reign, there was some form of peace, but not eternal. It was only for a moment. Because Jeroboam and Rehoboam, his sons, will come in and just disrupt the entire the land of Israel, dividing the country in two. And then the decline, the moral decline. And you see that, and they're constantly at this war going back and forth, serving God, disobeying God, serving God, and disobeying God, always going back and forth. Would there be ever end to this? If you think that because you're God's chosen people, no bad things will ever happen to you, 
let me just be the first one to tell you that is not true. Matter of fact, the moment that you proclaim Christ as Lord, immediately attack will come. The moment you decide to follow God, there will be an enemy waiting for you. Welcome. I've been waiting for you. Enemy is just not going to just say, oh, you're a Christian now. Huh. <laughs> have a good life. Just want to bless you, everything that you have. Well, here we go. He's going to lay down and just, no. That's when he comes to make sure that your faith will be void somehow. And we see that in the time of Isaiah also. Is there ever going to be an end? Is there going to a peace? Can we have peace? In the midst of all this, the stress and this anxiety of Isaiah, he sees a glimpse of light. And this light changes the entire narrative that supports suffering to hope. To suffering, to hope. And we see this when we think about child being born, and this child is the Son of God, and this is what the New Testament writers and the early church believed that's to be true. And they believed that this is the prophecy that came into life. In Matthew 1, he says, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the gospel, saying, behold, which means look. It's not sophisticated word as we make it seem like, right? When you say behold, it means like, mm, what's, what, what are we beholding? In the Hebrew word, behold or hine means look. As simple as that. I think we make it sophisticated, but I think it's a very simple word. Just look, because they're seeing the vision. They're seeing the actual reality be taking place. The virgin shall be with a child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated God with us. Same prophecy that Isaiah prophesied in, in the book of Isaiah the New Testament writers, not only the writers, but the believers themselves believed that Jesus Christ was the child, the promised child, the Messiah that has come. In the following verse, if we know that this child is the Son of God, the following verse is in the government will be upon his shoulder. Now, you may be wondering, what government? Are we talking about nations? Are we talking about Israel? What are we talking about here? And there's a many ways to approach this verse. And I'll be very frank with you. This is really, really tough for me to divide today's verse because each topic can be sermon itself. But I have to go fast. So you're only going to hear the brief. So if you have a question, come to me afterward. I believed with the government that the Isaiah sees 
is not a physical government. It's something much bigger than the kingdoms of this world. And what is this kingdom? And Jesus quoted so many times, you probably get tired of hearing it, it's about kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of grace that Jesus Christ will usher in. And as he did 2,000 years ago, the very evidence of that government, establishing that government, we are here. The very reason you are here is because our Savior has come and established the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Praise God. And that's the good news for you and me. And this is what Isaiah actually saw 700 years before Christ. And you see there is the transcendent hope in Isaiah's voice. Because after this chapter, it's going to get really bad. You go downhill real quick. Israel, you have not done this, that, doing that, and you God's going to judge, blah, blah, blah. It goes crazy until chapter 40, things will get better, which is a beautiful song, right? But the reason why Isaiah is mentioning all this is to reveal that there is a hope. Because without hope, why bother? Why continue this madness? But Isaiah believed that there is a messianic hope that will occur, maybe not in his lifetime, and it didn't, but it will occur. And Jesus came to establish the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And if you go to the scripture, we see that the first thing that Jesus does after being baptized, after being tested 40 days in the wilderness, what is the first thing that he say? What is the first part of his ministry? You know what it is? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is bringing the kingdom of heaven here on earth. No longer... You and I belong to this earth, but we belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the heavenly kingdom. You know, I come from Korean background. So I was born and raised in Korea. Probably can tell because of my accent. <laughs> I like my accent. So, I'm from Korea, but I was. I became a U.S. citizen when I was 17 because my mother got remarried. My father passed away when I was very young, but my, father, my mother got remarried. I became an American citizen. So I will call myself American. <laughs> right? American. Right? And my dad is from East Texas, so <laughs> I have that too. But I don't belong. Yes, my citizenship, my papers say I'm American, I live in Texas, but that's not my, my main identity. My eternal identity is a kingdom of heaven. And that's whom I serve, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's you 
That's where you belong. And his name will be called. So let's stop there. You know, name has a meanings in Hebrew culture. Name actually points to the person's attributes, which is very interesting in this sense because this child will have these attributes that will define who he is. That makes sense? So my name is Ji-hun, if you don't know. My name actually has a meaning behind it. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Come and ask me afterward. But my name actually has a meaning. There is a just sense when you are given your name by your parents or the father, there's a lot. Of, this is who you are. This is who you're going to become. And Hebrew culture is the same. When you are giving a name to somebody, that is pretty much define who they are. At least what they hope for in that person. Not always that's the case, right? But in this sense, this child, the son of God, will have these attributes. And what are those attributes? Wonderful counselor. Now, we have to stop here, and here's why. In Hebrew words, wonderful or pele is a wonder, and the word was referenced to God's miracle for Israel. Okay? It's not wonderful counselor. Like we think of like, oh, he's so wonderful. You know, he, he's so great. Which he is, but he has a little bit more depth to it. That wonder in the Old Testament, you see that it's God's working for children of Israel. And so wonder, you see in Psalm 77, 11, I will remember your wonders of old. God's working. Psalm 89.5, we'll praise your wonders, O Lord. God's doing. In Isaiah 25.1, for you have worked wonders. It is when we are defining this wonder is a divine God's working and not men. It's very important that you have to understand that this child, the Son of God, will do wonders the children of God. And isn't that the gospel itself? That God, Son of God, will take the form of man to do what? Do wonders for you and me. And what is that wonder? Is that to have a relationship with the Father. It can only be God's way because man's way only points to you making a sacrifice. Think about it for a second. In Hebrew culture in the Old Testament, you have to make these numbers of sacrifices. Goat, sheep, oxen, doves, all to somehow get close to God. It's very work mindset. The, a lot of the religions of the world, matter of fact, all the entire religions of this world points this one way, which is like you better work really, really, really hard. I was a former Buddhist, so I'll tell you this one. You have to meditate really, 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 really hard. <laughs> meditate until death. Then, but maybe you'll get there. So it's not even promise if you are going to get it or not. So why do you spend all this time meditating if you don't know what you get? That's beside the point. It's all works. Everything is works. It's something that you have to do to earn some way. And the wonder of God is that 
It's not you. Christ has already done it. And that's what this wonder of God will be through this child. Is that clear? Yeah. Just want to make sure you guys are extra quiet. Second service is always extra quiet for some reason. I say it's not because you guys are not listening or bored. It's because you're thinkers. You are the intellectuals. You have to think. Like, hmm, I see what you're saying. Let me logically, yes, you, that's you guys, all right. Next, counselor. In Hebrew word, ya'atz, which means to advise or counsel. To be able to advise or counsel, it requires knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. The child, the son of God, will possess more than earthly wisdom, but the heavenly wisdom that, can, that, can, that we can see in the creator who created not only the entire universe, but humanity, you and me. The divine wisdom of creator God will be the characteristics of the son of God. This counselor, this child will possess the wisdom of God. Isn't that what Christ did when he was on earth? Very evident, we see in the life of Jesus. Brown Driver Briggs, which is one of the translations, I like this translation a lot, about the wonderful counselor, I will say, here's the word they say, which is wonder of a counselor, of the ideal ruler predicted. I like that. Next, mighty God. In Hebrew, El Gibor. Strong or mighty. It attributes to God, especially as a fighting, God fighting for his people. And that's the reference for the Old Testament. When you say El Gibor, which is mighty God is used in Hebrew or in the Old Testament, it shows that God fighting for his people. Let's pass forward to the New Testament. Isn't that what God did? This child, the son of God, will fight for his people. Praise God. The battle is not yours anymore. It's Christ who is fighting your battles. And you should be rejoicing over that. And why is that? Because you don't have to wrestle and fight. The fight is already won. You just have to walk in it. I think a lot of times we get into trouble because you forget the fact that fight has won and you start to do the thing that you shouldn't do that caused you to become something else that got yourself into trouble. But even then, the grace of God covers you and he fights for you. Mighty God. Not only he is fighting for your battles, but here's the ultimate enemy. From the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the serpent coming to deceive Eve. And now we are in a hole today. But God, in his goodness, had a plan. And that ultimate plan is that there will be a figure. The seed of the woman will crush the Satan's. And that's the promise. You can look it up in Genesis chapter 3. 
what Jesus has done, what Jesus is going, has done 2,000 years ago is that he has made the way. He has defeated the enemy once for all. And what is that ultimate enemy? Death. You see, what Christians, what we believe is that we do not, our world, our entire being does not belong here. We belong in heaven. And we believe that we have eternal life. That we will not, the, 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 the life that we'll spend here on earth is just a momentary part of the eternity that we will be with God in heaven. And it is Christ that who made that possible because he defeated enemy once for all. And so that grip, that grip of the fear of death, I don't know about you, I had that my entire life. I was afraid to die until the gospel came for the first time. I received Christ and I understood the gospel. And through Christ, I belong to him and my eternity belongs to him. I'm liberated. I don't fear. Fear what? What are you afraid of? There's nothing to be afraid of. We belong to the Lord. We belong to God. Our life here, we are stewards of God's working to make him known and enjoy him forever. But ultimately, we belong to him for the eternity. For God so loved the world. We, everybody knows this. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Hallelujah. And that's what Christ came to do for you and me. Everlasting Father, which is the next one. The word Father uh, designates the quality of the Messiah with respect to his people. And we see this in the life of Christ when he said, I am a good shepherd. The heart of the Father will be manifest to his children. And that's what this child will do. And Jesus said at the best, I do not do anything unless my father. They share the same heart for his people. And that's the God we serve. Father God of heaven and his eternal son that has given us everything. And as his children, we can go to him. We can commune with him. We can listen. Can you hear me? Okay. We can listen to him. We can see him in God's word. We can understand. All this was possible through this son of God. Now, the last thing, which I'll take some time, which is the prince of peace or Sar Shalom. Now, word shalom has many connotations, but I love this word for many reasons because every time I go to Israel, I use this word. When I see my friend for the first time in a long time, I say, shalom. You're probably like, okay. It's like, oh, man, I haven't seen you in so long time. How you been? All in that one word. Shalom. It's a greetings that Israelis even use today. But the word shalom has much more meaning. The word shalom actually derived from the word shalem. This word 
means to complete. To complete. So when you are actually greeting somebody, you're not just saying hi. Like he says, hi. <laughs> it's not just that. What they're really saying is, shalom, hello. I pray that your soul will be whole. That you would be complete. That you will be one with God. All that included in this one word. Now, I don't think every Israelis know that, but the meaning is, has much deeper than that. The question I want to ask you is, from what shalom? Shalom from what? Peace from what are we talking of? Again, I said earlier, in the eyes of a prophet Isaiah, the war, oppression, suffering, and death led him to long for this Messiah, this messianic figure. And now, he said in this way in Isaiah 9.5, for the, every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. This picture that he is giving is that there will be a time of peace when this Messiah comes. The eternal peace will be possible. The true world peace will be possible when this Savior comes. But now, what war are we fighting? The peace, the thing that we're longing for is much deeper than you just looking for some quiet time and some tranquility. It's much more than that. And here's what Augustine said. Church father of fourth century, great are you, O Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense and your wisdom beyond reckoning. And so we men who are due part of your creation long to praise you. We also carry our mortality about us, carry the evidence of our sin, and with it the proof that you thwart the proud. You rouse us so that praising you may bring us joy because you have made us and drawn us to yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. The Prince of Peace will usher in the area of peace between God and men, and we will be complete through Prince of Peace. So here are some takeaways today. First, the important question to ask is not if I can have peace, but do I know the Prince of Peace? Have you made your peace with God? Or have you encountered the Prince of Peace? There is no peace without the Prince of Peace. The very peace that you're looking for is found in Christ and Christ alone. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and stranger from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But in Christ Jesus, you, were one, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Number two, 
Revelation of the Prince of Peace enables us to love God and love our neighbors. Our vertical relationship with the Father affects everything that we do. Especially if you are Christian today, you are called to go and love your neighbor. But how do you love a neighbor who has attributes of Karen? You better have that vertical relationship right. Because here's why. When you have been loved by God, now you can love others. But if you are never loved, if you never experience the love of God through the Prince of Peace, you will never be able to extend love, the sacrificial agape love to those who do not deserve, which is very funny, isn't it? You and I didn't deserve that love either. But because God, in His rich in mercy, sent His Son to us, that you and I are loved. The Father, God of heaven, loves us. Peace with God allows us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And finally, your soul will not rest until the Prince of Peace enters your heart. Your soul will not rest. The peace that you're looking for is not found in this world. You can look for it. You can search for it. But you will not find it. But when Christ comes, when you humble yourself in the sight of God, in the presence of God, and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. And he will reveal himself to you. That's what happened to me. And I'm sure that's how happened to many of you in this room. And that shalom in our heart is that strength to go forward in this world where the world is full of suffering. We can say, I have something to offer. I have something to offer you. Christ alone. Your hope is found. Edward J. Young, I'll end with this statement. The Prince of Peace is one who is the very embodiment of peace. He's the prince who has procured that peace. He procured it by removing the handwriting of ordinances that war against us and nailing it to the cross. He has satisfied the claim of absolute justice so that God in perfect justice can declare that the sinner stand in right relationship with himself. True peace comes to us because a child was born. That child, and he alone, is the Prince of Peace. Would we have peace? It is to him that we must go. Jesus said, peace I live with you, but peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. May the Prince of Peace bring the shalom 
this season of your life. If you have your elements, we'll take a communion together. One way for us to remember the season is through the communion. And remember, this is for the believers who have placed their faith in Christ. And this is a public proclamation telling the world that I believe in the Son of God, the sacrifice, the atonement, and the resurrection and the ascension, and which is the true meaning of the Advent is not just child being born, but also the Advent of coming of the second coming of our Savior, where God will come and restore all things as it was the beginning.